This is Eyewitness News Up Close. The President of the United States is saying that private citizens should be in jail. That's not okay. The former director of the FBI, James Comey, fired by President Trump, talking about the fallout from his bombshell book this week by one-on-one -on -one interview with a man at the center of a political firestorm. But first, the outgoing chair of the New York City Housing Authority, Shola Olatoye, leaving after four years in one of the toughest jobs in city government. This morning, we talked to her about the recent controversy surrounding her agency and her departure. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Up Close. I'm Bill Ritter. Shola Olatoye leaves NYCHA on April 30th. She made the announcement earlier this month after she toured the Ocean Bay Bayside houses in the Rockaways with Mayor de Blasio. She has been the chair of NYCHA for four years, and lately the agency has faced increased criticism from so many quarters. During her tenure, the city's Department of Investigation concluded she falsely claimed NYCHA apartments had been inspected for lead paint when they had not been. But the mayor has defended her and says she has helped keep NYCHA from bankruptcy and helped modernize the agency. And the outgoing chair joins us this morning. Good morning. Good, Good to morning. see you. Good morning. Great to be here. Thank you. You are smiling. You're upbeat. You're optimistic about your future. And yet, why are you leaving? Well, first of all, it has been the honor of my professional life to get the opportunity to serve New Yorkers, to serve my city. And when I took this job, the first I said to the mayor, you got four years. And, um, and I, that's what I committed to and I feel like not only given the investment that this administration has made in public housing, the significant work that we've done in this turnaround effort and the path forward, even with the challenges, I feel confident that the next team can move forward um, and it is a, a good time for me to, to move on. A year ago last month you were on the show, sitting right in that very seat, and I, I don't remember someone as passionate about their job as you were. And uh, I remember I said that to our producer afterwards, this woman wants to really turn around NYCHA and really make it different, bring it into a modern era. And, mm -hmm. and we're gonna talk about your accomplishments because mm -hmm. you've done many things, but I would have thought you had been here through a second term. You know, look, I think, as I said to my team earlier this week, you know, no one owns these jobs, right? You, a, you serve at the pleasure of the mayor. Um, you hope to come in do some good work and leave with your soul intact. And I feel like that's what I've been able to do, notwithstanding the very real challenges that the one in 14 New Yorkers do face. But, you know, I think for, for, for the agency um, and, and for me, um, this, is an, this is a perfect opportunity for me to, and for the administration, frankly, to take the work that's been done in NextGen, uh, work with the various stakeholders who have put public housing you know, on their agenda items, and move forward ultimately to improve uh, the health and safety and lives of New Yorkers. But Joel, other people underneath you have lost their jobs amid this controversy. Uh, the mayor, backed you clearly. He, he supported you in all the, I, I researched this up and down and mm -hmm. there was absolutely no wiggle room in his support for you. Uh, while other people lost their jobs mm -hmm. with the whole lead inspection controversy. Were you pressured to leave? Were you forced out? Uh, yeah, those are the questions. Yeah, Were no, you forced out? You know, again, I asked the mayor if he wanted me to go and, and we both agreed that there was still work to be done. And, you know, look, I think ultimately when one takes on the task of turning around any organization, but certainly a large, complicated bureaucracy, 
there are there are things that you're going to find. There are people who you know need to be moved, et cetera. That is part of the kind of change that we've been a part of, that we've helped to lead. Is there more work to be done? Absolutely. But you know, I think you know there are. It's a natural time in the administration. A number of my colleagues, you know, have 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 gone on, and so I feel confident and and frankly, you know, uh, good about the work that we've done. To and also really laying out a blueprint for how this agency can move forward, but more importantly, how the residents, that is the focus, that has always been my focus. How do we improve what's happening in people's homes? And there has been very good work that, that has occurred. There's still a lot more to do, as you and I have spoken mm -hmm. about on this, very, on this very show. You know, this has been 30 years worth of failure that, that has, that has you know, sort of been at our, has laid at our doorstep. So in four years, bringing the agency back from essentially financial insolvency, driving down repair times, starting a Sandy recovery program that was stuck long before we got here, getting a billion dollars of new capital invested in into our buildings with new facades. And that's real money, and that's happening. That's real money, that's happening. There's 62 roofs that are now new, lights that are literally bringing light uh, to our communities. So there's a lot that has been done, um, and there's a lot more to do. And I think, you know, what has been so important to me, and probably something that we've not talked a lot about, is the investment in the men and women who work at the authority. You know, there are almost 11,000 people who work at the authority, a third of whom are residents, actually. Um, and we've spent a lot of time trying to think about how you um, invest in those people. How do you help them do their jobs better? A lot more to do, but everything from technology to new training and development to new partnerships with the universities has been part of our effort to not only invest in people's homes, but in people's jobs as well. NYCHA has always been sort of a, 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 bata a hot potato and a, a kicking ball mm -hmm. for a lot of people, but never as much as in the last year. The governor's been there, the mayor's been there. NYCHA now sort of involved in the middle, but in a, in a political fight between those two. Mm -hmm. uh, the federal government's now involved, not just with cutting budgets, but with inspecting it and bringing in inspectors and whatnot. Um, what is that doing to morale of the people who work there and the people who live there? Thank you for asking that question. You know, it's a couple things. I, I've had the pleasure of now visiting almost 315 of our 325 developments. And, you know, talking to the men and women who work there and the residents, um, I think people realize that there are real challenges. And they're not, they're not shying away from that, nor am I. But also recognizing that there are, there's all, these are good, hardworking people who want the same thing for their families as I want for mine, which is a safe and decent place to live, and, and are concerned about the portrayal of them as a monolith, one, two, that, um, you know, that there hasn't been real progress, but also that people have been living in the shadows for 30 years. So look, I think the opportunity here is never waste a crisis. This is an opportunity to unite three levels of government and the city to think about what kind of city do we want to be um, and how do we ensure that everyone has the right to live in a safe and decent home. But just to play devil's advocate, part of that would be having uh, all the workers at NYCHA and the inspectors, all the people who run it, uh, be honest about whether lead paint was inspected for. And clearly, many people who work for you were not honest about it. 
throughout the years and worked for people before you. They were not honest about it. So that hurts the public perception of the people running. Actually. Look, I've never said that you know there were not challenges at the authority. And again, it's part of any turnaround effort. You're going to find, I'm a problem solver. You find problems. That's been part of our work. And you know we have immediately you know moved to address these compliance issues, working in, co in concert with um, the, the Southern District, et cetera. And I think it's been really important to um, have a, a shared sense of accountability, mm -hmm. one, and, and then actually create an, an infrastructure to allow the agency to move towards compliance. Because ultimately, we have to ensure that people's homes are safe. And now there's a compliance officer for the first time That's correct. ever that was appointed by the mayor. Um, the biggest accomplishment in your last... Four I years? think launching the the largest development program in in our agency's history, if not in the country, is really important. We have um, over fifteen thousand units of public housing that will be preserved and renovated through the federal rental assistance demonstration program. We've also have something that you know many have tried and few have succeeded, which is starting to build mixed income housing within the portfolio. Yes, we have a housing crisis in the city, but the authority also needs money to fix up the very buildings that people are concerned about. And that is, mm. th that's going to be real dollars and real change in people's apartments. Your biggest regret? The lead paint inspection? You know, look, I think that there are many things that any leader will look back on, whether it is having information sooner and earlier to, to act upon. But let's not forget, in 2014, when we came in, what we walked into, which is an organization that had about three weeks of cash on hand and repair times that were too t taking too long and you know programs that were, 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 were not, not moving and, and, and serving the needs that they were designed to. So, you know, I've made hard decisions. We've had to. We've made some enemies in the process, um, but you know, more importantly, I think it. I think the work and the data um, speaks for itself. And hopefully, you know, the next team can move forward and build on that. Good luck. I know this has not been an easy. You've been accused of things, one way or the other, um, and I know it hasn't been easy. But uh, you but do have honor. some accomplishments. Thank okay. you so much. Good luck to you, Charlotte. Thank you so right. much. Thank you Take for coming care. on. When we come back. He was fired as the director of the FBI, and for a year he was silent. But as we've seen this week, James Comey is quiet no more. When we come back, my one-on-one -on -one conversation with Mr. Comey, I talked to him just as the blowback from President Trump went full throttle. Welcome back to Up Close. Some Hillary Clinton supporters are still very much angry at James Comey because they feel he gave Donald Trump the election. Some Trump supporters are angry at Comey because they feel his actions could bring down the president. It can be lonely indeed being James Comey. If you paid attention to the news this past week, even for a couple minutes, you know the fired director of the FBI is speaking a lot about his new book. And the White House and President Trump are fighting back. I sat down with Mr. Comey on Monday, right after the attack started earlier this week. So when I told people I was interviewing you, uh, I said, so what would you ask them first? And they said, well, all this vitriolic response to your appearance with George and the book, he's got to be really surprised. And I thought, you know, this couldn't possibly surprise you. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. I knew it was coming and I dreaded it. I was sitting having a cup of coffee with my wife looking out at our bird feeder last week and I said, isn't this wonderful? What's coming is going to be awful. But I expected it. And, and how does it feel and how does your family react to it? I think they prepared for it as well. They've seen a lot of rocks thrown at me, especially over the last two years. And so they're prepared for it as well. But these rocks are hard. Uh, thrown by the President of the United States, calling you a slime ball, says you committed many crimes. Uh, thinks, you know, there are certainly people on cable television who think you should be put in jail, indicted at the least. 
Yeah, I think the president said I should be put in jail as well. And my reaction, honestly, when I saw that was to shrug, like, and then to stop myself and realize that in that shrug is something dangerous, because I worry everybody shrugs. The president of the United States is saying that private citizens should be in jail. That's not okay. That's not normal. But there's a danger that he's making us numb to that, to an erosion of the rule of law and to independent law enforcement. And that's a bad place to be. And so I'm, I'm a little bit ashamed of my own shrug, and I hope other people will not shrug as well. You didn't say anything, basically, after you were fired uh, publicly. Uh, you waited for it to come out in the book. And now you've sparked this you know, renewed debate about everything that was in the past. All the while, we have this ongoing investigation, which you're a witness to. And I assume you've been, you've talked to the special counsel, you've testified, or you're going to testify. You're right in the middle of it. But you didn't say anything before. You waited until the book. Why didn't you say anything before? Because I wanted to say what I needed to say in a thoughtful way, and in a way that I hope transcends the current administration and the current controversies. Donald Trump is a small part of this book. It covers a lot of stories that I hope illustrate what ethical leadership should be from mistakes I've made and things I've learned. And I thought, I don't want to do it you know, episodically, do it casually. I'm going to be trying to be thoughtful and give people something useful. And so that's what I hope I've done. And yet a lot of people will never believe that. You've got Democrats, a lot of Democrats who think you cost Hillary Clinton election. You've got a lot of Trump supporters who think you should be put in jail uh, and that what you've done uh, by releasing the memos that you took, the notes you took about private conversations with the president is a crime. So you have people who immediately are against you on both sides. Yep. Who are you trying to reach? Really not those folks. I hope, and maybe I'm kidding myself, but I don't think so. There's a great middle in American life that understands the importance of values in our leaders and is too busy to get involved the way that people do at the wings, the far right and the far left. I hope that I can speak to them and say, look, I know you're busy. I know you're trying to raise the kids and get all kinds of things done in your lives. Great, I do the same. If we don't get off the couch and participate, our politics is dominated by the crazies at the wings. The values of this country are embodied in that great middle of America, and I need those folks to focus. And how do you think that's working out so far? And I know it's just the beginning of the book tour, but obviously you started with a big launch with a big interview with George Stephanopoulos. It's hard to tell because people tend to see, people who haven't read the book, seize on things that I don't think fairly represent what I'm trying to communicate, so it's, it's too early to say. A, a lot of people, would say, you know, they get what you're trying to do, they, you want to dive deep into your thinking, uh, sort of go through the machinations of what you went through, trying to be intellectually honest, you said your words, uh, and yet a lot of people were turned off by your personal characterization of President Trump. And I know you did it for the book, you know, what, what was the scene like inside there while well, you paid attention to this, this, and this, and this, but the way it came out, a lot of people are saying, and you, look, you saw the front page of the New York Times today, your star, Comey star turn may spoil his carefully cultivated image as someone above the fray. But you got into the fray by talking about his tie and his hand size and the tanning circle goggles around his face. Do you regret that at all? Do you wish you had said something differently? I don't. I, I regret that people appear, maybe even the New York Times reporters, not to have read the book. Because if you read the book, I try to, because when I was typing I could hear my editor's voice in my head saying, bring the reader with you, bring the reader with you. I described President Obama as much skinnier than I expected. I'm not trying to attack President Obama. I describe President Bush, details about him. I tell stories about leaders I dealt with, my own childhood. I try to put rich detail in there. I'm trying to be an author. 
I'm not trying to make fun of Donald Trump. I mean, as silly as it sounds, I found his hands to be not unusually small. Yeah, that's what the book says. But that was in my head. And so I think what I'm trying to do as an author is share that with people. And I think the seizing on that is, is really not fair and consistent with the whole book. One of your fiercest critics has been uh, Sean Hannity of Fox News. What was your reaction yesterday when in court on something very different, uh, the hearing into uh, what was raided by the FBI, the organization used to head, uh, of, of, his of Michael Cohen, the personal attorney for Donald Trump, about his documents, it was disclosed that he, Hannity, was a client of Cohen's. What was your reaction here? I don't know enough to have a reaction. I saw those headlines. I was running around yesterday. This guy eviscerates you every night. You had no reaction? I've actually never watched his show. I know he eviscerates me because I hear it secondhand, but I really didn't because I know enough to know that I often can't know what's going on in an investigation or a case from what I see in the media, as good as the media can be. And so I, I really don't have a reaction. You've never seen Sean Hannity on television? No, never. He's going to be very disappointed when you... When you yeah, I don't want to hurt his feelings, but yeah. he's got plenty of other viewers. He doesn't need me. Well, he'll take it out on you even more, perhaps. <laughs> um, get, I want to get into Russia. You looked into Russia's involvement, manipulation of the 2016 election. Uh, it's, it's taken a side path uh, because a lot of people are worried, well, is this going to affect the legitimacy of Donald Trump? That's what the White House is mostly concerned about, or at least it seems to be. But most Americans are worried about Russia in Russia's involvement. How worried should we be going forward? How much did you see and find? Russia engaged in a widespread, sophisticated attack on our democracy in 2016. They had attacked our democracy routinely, going back to the Soviet era. They will be back. They'll be back in 2018. They'll definitely be back in 2020. Every American should care about that. Because again, we can fight with each other as Republicans or Democrats. We all care about the same precious thing, which is our democracy. And so they'll be back. Are we doing enough to protect this country from a future attack? I can only say what I see my former colleagues saying, like the head of NSA, no, is the answer. We're not doing enough. Okay. What are you going to do after this is over? What's your next step in your career? I'm going to be a teacher. I was this year at Howard University. I'm going to be next year at my alma mater, William & Mary, teaching about leadership and ethics, which will be really exciting. I'm going to use the book in my course, and I'm going to buy it for the students. I'm not going to be one of those professors. There you go. Because I, I, ne sign it for I never like, if they do well, I'll sign it for them, yeah. Uh, if writing can be cathartic, and if you could take back, after writing this book, looking at everything, analyzing it, doing your own self-examination, if you could take back one thing that you did, would there be such a thing, and what would it be? Well, if I had a magic wand, I, first of all, Hillary Clinton never would have used a personal email server, and Anthony Weiner never would have had a laptop. That would have made my life a whole lot easier because we wouldn't have been involved at all. Right, but a decision you made. I, some small ones. I mean, I made a bunch of mistakes as FBI director, but in those big investigations, only small ones. I screwed up how I presented it. I screwed up how I described it. But in the main, every time we faced a choice, it was either do we choose bad or do we choose worse? And we always tried to choose bad and avoid worse, knowing that everybody was going to be mad at us, no matter what we did. And that's freeing in a way. The fired FBI Director James Comey. We did that interview last Monday before the Comey memos were released Thursday night. We're going to talk about what those memos mean and their content next with our political team. Welcome back to Up Close. The Trump White House and Republicans pushed very hard for the Comey memos to be given to Congress by the Department of Justice. And that happened on Thursday night. They were handed over. And within the hour, they were leaked to the press.
Why the Republicans wanted these memos out? There's a big debate over that because there's some pretty damning stuff about the president in the Kobe memos. Here to talk about that, political consultant Hank Scheinkoff, and from Washington, ABC News political director Rick Kleins. And you're on camera, Rick. I'm going to start with you. I'm reading these memos. Uh, the president tweeting a lot about this, negative about uh, Mr. Comey, and saying that it exonerated him uh, from any idea of collusion with Russia. Now, I read all this, I'm sure you did too, these 15 pages, and I'm looking, maybe he has memos that I didn't see yet, but I don't see that in here. That's been pure and simple. These do not exonerate him. In fact, they, they seem to implicate him because James Comey's account is the only one that exists. And you look at this, he has the president asking him for loyalty directly. He has him asking uh, to drop the Michael Flynn investigation. All of that is potentially evidence in an obstruction of justice case. I will say the memos are a little more complicated uh, and more nuanced than Comey suggests that they were in his book. But I don't see how this in any way, shape, or form exonerates President, president Trump. And, and Hank, he also says that the president says in the Comey memos that, hey, I don't really trust the judgment of Michael Flynn, and yet he went to bat for Michael Flynn, even though he had to fire him. What I'm competent to talk about is politics, and what I will tell you is this does not help the Republicans this fall. It adds to more of the chaos, more of the confusion, more of the sense that things are out of control in the White House, that the chief, the former chief law enforcement officer of the country, essentially the, the, the leader of the most important uh, uh, law enforcement organization we have, appears to be more in control than the president. This back and forth, the meaning of the president by himself in this discussion doesn't bode well. And, and as long as we're on the subject, Comey, his book tour, which he's uh, yep. sort of going to wind down, but he's going to do it this next week coming up. How is that faring politically? Because a lot of Democrats who supported Clinton don't like him. The Republicans don't like him. But he says he's going after the majority of Americans who are on neither side. I think it helps uh, the Democrats in the fall because, again, it, the, the public gets engaged. We expect higher turnouts than we usually have in midterm elections. There's something going on that we don't know, and the unusual is tending to happen. Mm -hmm. So Comey, through this book, has made himself alive again. Okay. Rick, uh, let me talk about uh, the legal team that uh, the president has amassed for himself again. He's changed lawyers again. He changes lawyers as often as some people change socks. What does the Rudy Giuliani edition mean, and what did you make of Mr. Giuliani saying, I'm here to end this investigation. As wishful thinking, I don't think that Bob Mueller's team is going to say, oh, we have Rudy's there now. Now we'll, we'll change the course of our investigation. And they're, they're not going to be wowed by a big name. Uh, and I think that's more about the president looking inward to that inner circle to try to negotiate uh, what he hopes will be an endgame. So I, I, to my mind, and I talked to one Republican about this, a uh, pretty prominent Republican who says this may be a mark of desperation, that he isn't able to attract a lot of the, the high-dollar legal talent that might actually be able to help with this. And so he's turning again to a very good friend, someone that doesn't doesn't have a lot of juice right now. We'll see. Maybe Giuliani knows something uh, about all of this. He's worked closely with everyone involved, but I don't think Bob Mueller's team is going to be cowed by Rudy's name. And your take on this? Thank it doesn't matter. Mueller goes forward. The Congress will be very much afraid of interfering with him, regardless of what Devin Nunes and the others do. This is just another step as this goes on. It's more of the same circus. Rick, to ABC News, you wrote this long memo about what the, uh, the DNC lawsuit against Russia and WikiLeaks and the Trump campaign means. Uh, what do you make of it, and, and what does that do to the play that Hank was talking about, what he, all he cares about, is the 2018 election? He said that's the most important thing for him. 
Well, the importance of this lawsuit is that it's going to put out in the open everything that Democrats hope and presume that Bob Mueller is doing behind closed doors. They basically wrote a lawsuit that is what they hope Bob Mueller produces in the form of a, of a report from the special counsel's office. Even if he doesn't do that, the lawsuit in their hope is going to force uh, depositions, documents to be put forward in the public realm that reflect very, very poorly in their view on President Trump and his close associates. It is a pretty striking document. It weaves together everything that we've learned over the last couple of years to suggest that, yes, the Russians were coordinating with the Trump campaign to try to bring down Hillary Clinton. Hank, every document that gets released, every deposition that gets leaked, everything that goes on becomes more political fodder to injure the president and to help the Democrats take back the House. Let me talk to you a little about Secretary of State. Have you ever seen a Secretary of State sort of in more up in the air in terms of the confirmation process? It's, it's really not fair in many ways. You don't, may not have to like Pompeo from a partisan standpoint, but he's a graduate of West Point. He was first in his class at Harvard. He's been a congressman. He's been head of the CIA. What do you want? I mean, that's too much already. But the Republicans, Rick, are not all on his side either in this. Yeah, and therefore they're, they're set to have a pretty extraordinary thing happen in the Senate where the Foreign Relations Committee will not favorably recommend him. Now, he could still go forward, and at least one Democrat has said that she will support him on the floor. He may have the votes for confirmation, but it's a, it's a sign of these divided times and also how polarizing pr the president and his foreign policy are that an otherwise rather non-controversial pick, a guy that's been leading the CIA without major scandal, a former congressman, as Hank said, with, his, with that resume, is going to have this hard a time getting confirmed. Okay. You have 15 seconds. A complicated question. We take an hour on it. Cynthia Nixon, is she having an effect on Andrew Cuomo and what he's doing in this race? Cynthia Nixon is having an effect. Movie stars, people with power, star power generally do. She's making Andrew Cuomo work harder, but he's working anyway. Can she win? Who knows? September's a long time away. But she's, and he's still 30% ahead he's, of the He's way ahead of her, and he's running an extraordinarily good campaign. And by the way, not for nothing, he has $30 million in the bank. Well, that's good to have. Okay, it always is. Rich reports, nice to have money, my dad would say. Hank Scheinkoff, Rick Klein. Thank you both for joining us this morning. And on that note, that's going to do it for this edition of Up Close. Tiempo with Joe Torres is next. If you missed any of today's programs, no worry. I'll post it on my Facebook page tomorrow, segment by segment. You can watch it. Thank you all for watching this morning. I'm Bill Ritter. For all of us here at Channel 7, enjoy the rest of your weekend.